Hello, everyone. Welcome to the next level. I'm JVL here with my best friends, Sarah Longwell and Tim Miller. <laughs> this is a little green room joke. How are you guys? I couldn't be better. I'm so glad to hear Just that. Happy to be here with you two. It's nice Just to wish be we Tim. Were in person. It's nice to be Tim. Yeah. Uh, all right. So listen, we had some big news. We're recording on Wednesday morning, and we had an election in Ohio yesterday around issue one. And I want to, Sarah, please take note. I want to give voters a lot of credit hmm. for understanding the weird Byzantine nature of what this election was actually about. Because issue one is about abortion, and it kind says of. nothing anywhere about abortion in it. Uh, this was a ballot initiative put forward in order to raise the threshold of votes required to amend the state constitution. Are you reading that? Are you reading no, that? No, no, no. I am okay. speaking speaking from okay. from my deep understanding of, uh, of things. <laughs> and it was put forward as a hey by by Republicans. This is a way to keep deep pocketed rich people from having the ability to go and push through constitutional amendments to the state constitution on uh, on just a strict majority basis. And other people said, no, this is about them stopping us from doing a state constitutional amendment, um, putting some limits on laws regulating abortion, because Ohio now is a very restrictive... I would say this is what we always say voters don't care about process. The entire thing here is process. This is nothing but process. And somehow, Ohio voters were able to figure out what the score was on this. Well, there was, they got a little assist from the Secretary of State, I, Frank LaRose, yeah. who'd, uh, who, had, who had the own goal of a lifetime among Republicans, who said, a video of him saying, this is 100% about keeping a radical pro-abortion amendment out of our Constitution. 100%. <laughs> so not a lot of subtlety there from Frank LaRose and the gaffe of, gaff of the year from the Ohio Secretary of State. But still, we're talking about a state Secretary of State, right? This is a... The, people people don't know who that person is, even <laughs> though they probably voted for him before. He's pretty well known in Ohio. Yeah. And he, he he's, he's, you know... But still. Uh, yeah. Frank LaRose, though, is an interesting guy in that he was sort of an originally, like, a, he was good on the election not being stolen and then like slowly backslid sort of over time mm -hmm. uh, and got Trumpier and like kind of like decided to plant his flag on this. Well, let me let me just run off the numbers here. Then I'm going to want you guys to talk about it. So the no vote, which is essentially the pro choice vote, wins by 15 points, 14 points, 57 to, to 43 but what's really interesting is the actual raw vote totals because the no vote got almost as many votes as Tim Ryan did in his his actual midterm election year super high dollar Senate race. So the turnout for this was way, way high, which shows that like a lot of people in Ohio understood what this weird ballot initiative was about and sussed out like which position meant which. And then came out to actually vote about it. Kind of interesting. Sarah? 
Yeah, it's interesting. I do wonder if when something is complicated like this, that it sort of benefits the side that has a lot of college-educated suburban voters who... (laughs) Oh, if I said that, you'd be mad at me, Sarah. No, I think this is true, right? That this is like the crowd that is following politics, um, and that tends to be the people who are the most pro-choice. I think there's just some overlap there. Tim, did who I just say a thing? Like did Cletus. I just say a bad thing, or is it a true no, thing? No, I totally, I totally agree. I'm so, does, was I making a bad face? No, I don't know. I just oh, sorry. Uh, you know, I, I don't like when JBL was, accuses me of of being, of being like JBL. Oh no, yeah. you don't oh, like it when yeah, JBL no, says, you hey, Sarah, you sound like me." No. You did not say a bad thing. You know who did say a bad thing kind of on this point? And not really a bad thing at all. It's just a little bit of um, humor. Is uh, is Matt Iglesias tweeted something, ba- a take basically to your, that was your point right there, but a little, maybe, maybe a little less gingerly. And he wrote, the uh, conservative p- position on abortion is unpopular, but the other thing Republicans need to accept is that their weirdly timed election gimmick now plays into the hands of Democrats' highly educated neurotic base. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Some people didn't love the word neurotic there, but his point is right. You both of your points are right. You know what? No matter how gingerly we need to, you know, talk around the language here, we spend a lot of time on this podcast and on the bulwark talking about the the areas where Republicans have structural advantages because of the nature of their coalition, and that the, this trade that I've read, the red dog trade, that actually helped. Republicans in a lot of ways, right? Because it, it overemphasized working class folks in these states that have greater power in the Electoral College and then the Senate, right? It's this tyranny of the minority element. And, and that's true. Republicans have gained that, that structural advantage. But Democrats have gained back this structural advantage, right? Which is that their coalition is much more reliable now. And particularly in these off-cycle elections, you have to be paying attention. You got to be reading your local- The Wisconsin judicial yeah. election is another yeah. good example of this. Think about who it is. College-educated moms, angry moms in the suburbs, they vote, right? Red dogs, people that paid attention to politics enough to leave, right? We vote. Older black folks. They vote, you know, they have a long habit of voting through, through church or, you know, when their rights were actually on the ballot. Right. And so like, they have this coalition now that is that is much more reliable, that does help in these sorts of things. An insane turnout yesterday for this really arcane ballot yeah. initiative. So, Sarah, I'm, I'm sorry, we got derailed with, with the, your the point here. But what, what do you make of it? <laughs> because I, I mean, it seems like it's a big deal. No. Well, I mean, am I making too much of it? Well, no, it's a big deal in the sense that it is. There's two reasons it's a big deal. One is this is Ohio, where basically Democrats haven't had like Sherrod Brown. They cling to him as like the one stronghold for Democrats there at all. And everybody's pretty worried about his Senate race this time around because Tim Ryan was about as good a candidate as you were going to get in Ohio. And he got crushed by an absolute like loser of a J.D. Vance that lots of people didn't even like. So that's one of the reasons it's a big deal. The other reason it's a big deal is it's there is nowhere, Kansas, Ohio, where these abortion referendums haven't gone the pro-choice way. And so I think just the cumulative nature of that says something that like even in these pretty definitively red states, you put abortion on the ballot, it's going to go poorly for Republicans. And that obviously has then political implications. I mean, you know, if I were Democrats, and this is like what happened in Michigan, right? When you put an abortion ballot measure on during an election, it does wonders both for your turnout and also uh, skeeves out the swing voters from voting for the Republican because it increases the salience of the abortion issue. 
kind of like gay marriage in the 2004 reelect, right? Was that uh, was that the year that Bush put a lot of state level yeah. gay marriage initiatives on, right, to help his turnout? Yeah. yeah, I think there's something to that. I don't. The question is, are these people that are turning out? Uh, they're probably presidential turnout voters too, right? So I don't know how much it really helps in a presidential. I, I think it does really help in these off-cycle elections. I also just think that the Republicans, and, and maybe eventually they'll wake up to this, so I kind of doubt it. There's just this hubris about their position on abortion, particularly in these red states, about this about believing that it's more popular than it is. And I, and I, and you know, this is something that Democrats have had to deal with in the past, right? Like these activists who are like convinced that the Green New Deal would actually be popular if they put it in place, so that to fund the police would actually be popular, right? Like Republicans are now like really dealing with this on these cultural issues, which is that particularly an abortion that it's like if if people just you know if, if we just were able to get it out there, like this would be. A winner and it's like it's not a winner right it's it's just it's not but that's very hard to push the republican activists off of particularly ones in red states that feel like they're this is their moment to shine you know and and also particularly you know after you know years and years of it, it's it's hard to then move to a, say oh we need to moderate and, and deal with democrats on this thing after we've been calling them baby killers and mass murderers for like a half century right like that they've, they've sort of boxed themselves in on this a little bit i mean can you telescope out to 2024 and does this mean anything you know either at the national level or in ohio itself right i mean because that's the question is it salience right sarah yeah like, how much do people really think like, hey, actually, this issue right now is actually on the ballot with this choice. Yeah. You want me to tell you something that will terrify you? Please. Okay. I love being terrified early in Great. the morning. If Ron DeSantis, who was his chances of being the nominee are, are, are sinking fast, but if Ron DeSantis were the nominee, I think abortion would be a massive issue in the race. And I think it would be so important. I think if Trump's the nominee... He mitigates this no problem. And uh, the fact that he is seen as a relative moderate on abortion probably helps him because and it, and it takes it defangs Democrats ability to use it as what I think is is the a pretty motivate. I think it worked wonders in 2022 against a bunch of the weirdo candidates, the Blake Masters, uh, the Tim Michaels, like the Tudor Dixons, the people who took these really extreme position on abortion. I think that was a big part of why there was, um, even among high Republican turnout, persuadable voters voted against them, seeing them as too extreme. I think Trump won't have that problem. I mean, I was on a podcast like a year ago with a couple people who kept saying over and over, you people who think that Trump will be easier to beat uh, and therefore think that you want him are crazy. And, oh, look at you guys. That's this podcast. Oh, yes, right it's again. this podcast. It's us. <laughs> yeah, that's this podcast. <laughs> right again. It matters on the margins. I just, I, I, I agree with everything Sarah said, but I think, and I think it's important just to say, working class women, you know, just generally speaking, non-college women, you know what I mean? I, like, I think that there are certain, going to be certain categories, younger voter turnout, younger voter deciding that they want to vote for Biden instead of Cornell West, right? Like, yeah. I, I think that like there's certain areas on the margins where, where this is going to matter, um, even, um, even against Trump. Uh, but, uh, but maybe not as much as, as people would hope. I, I was watching a clip of Bill Clinton, how old's Bill these days? Is he older than our two presidential nominees? He's looking rough. Um, but in, in his in his age, why isn't Bill Clinton still as a good political analyst? And he was like, I remember 
the Colorado year of 2000, where where my buddy Al lost to George Bush by eight points, and we won the background check ballot initiative by 17 points, and it like made us all think that we could win on guns. And then the next cycle was like, no, actually, people disagreed with you on the background check issue, but they were afraid of you on other on other things. And I, I think that there's like there is a little bit of that element. Like I saw a little bit some some buoyancy among my liberal friends on Twitter and on on threads which Sarah isn't on yet. Get on thread, Sarah. Um, that's like, we could win Ohio now. Like, look, yeah. I go, and it's like, okay, yeah, I, I do. I think it's going to matter on the margins, but, but you know, there is an element of this where the ballot initiative is a different animal. All right, this, this puts things in perspective. Thank you, Sebastian. Bill Clinton, who was president in the early 1990s, is younger than both of the guys who will be the presidential nominees wow. this year. <laughs> Wow, I really thought he was 82. I, that's, that's something else, 76. Bill Clinton was president a full generation ago, and he's still younger than the guys are going to be our nominees. I hadn't even hit puberty when Bill Clinton was yeah. president. I remember I remember not even knowing what they were talking about, blowjobs. And, you know, I was like, what is, I, you know, I was a Catholic schoolboy. Oh, so many jokes here, Tim. So many jokes. Okay, Tim has returned from the Midwest, from the friendly confines of Iowa, and you went and you saw Ron DeSantis, and you were one of the tens of people to show up to his his cattle call. Was that actually a cattle call? It was an actual cattle call. I went to several events. I drove around the state. Do we have time for a quick aside about my driving? Or should we yeah, just move on to Ron DeSantis? Save okay. it for the end. I had to do a lot of driving as as, as long time as the OG next level listeners know. I'm a very I'm a very bad driver, and I had to do a lot of driving around Iowa this weekend. But um, uh, my first event was with Ron DeSantis in a. This is where my first campaign. No, maybe my second or third campaign was for an Iowa candidate, and he was a farmer. And I got out there, and I was as Sarah would know. I was in my fake glasses and in my khakis and my loafers, and I got out there <laughs> on the farm, and we're and like we're supposed to be taping a video, and I'm like, you need to get up on the thing with the hooks. And he was like, <laughs> the tractor. <laughs> I was like, I know no farm words. So anyway, we're in some kind of place where there is a little. <laughs> I went to a place where there was a literal cattle call, and then we went to a figurative cattle call. At the literal cattle call, the first stop. Tama, Iowa, uh, where there is a good casino if you're ever rolling through there. I lost some money there uh, in the mid-aughts. Um, I go in, and at first I thought it was just like a meet and greet because there were only like eight or nine people. There's sometimes candidates do that. You know, they stop by the local maid right and, you know, have sure. a coffee and shake a few hands of people sitting there. I thought that's what, what it might be um, and and because we're all sitting there. And then they open up the venue where, you know, where uh, this actual barn and and usher us in. I was like, oh, this is interesting. And I go in there and I'm like, I think the event's starting soon. And I start counting the people. And I'm not good at crowd estimates, but in this case, I was able to actually count. Uh, hard count. Because there were that few. I did, a, I did a hard count. There were 44 attendees. Um, okay. uh, there were uh, umpteen paid staff and security. Ron DeSantis came up to this event in a five-car motorcade. I, he- I hear that he's cutting down <laughs> on costs. There was a five, he, he attended the event with 44 people in a five-car motorcade. And um, I was like, ooh, I don't know about this. So I went to the top of the of the little venue and took a photo, which I saved till the end because I didn't want the DeSantis people to be mad at me because they said they might do a press conference. They didn't. Um, and so uh, as soon as he left, I sent out the picture, um, which I'm a little embarrassed to admit also Trump bleeded 
and it was on the you front of Drudge. Content for uh, I didn't. I don't. For... I don't mean to ha- ha- offer any aid and, <laughs> and comfort to Donald Trump. So I was upset about that. But it was on the, the pictures everywhere. But it was like well, it's not my fault. I mean, it's it's like you had this event here, and this was a, a place that holds like 150 people. Two hours later, the same day, I went to see Vivek in a much smaller town in a much more remote part of Iowa with triple the crowd. So again, crowd counts aren't everything, but like I, this, you guys scheduled this. Like this was your, this was a, just a fuck up as a campaign, and and he's now changed the campaign manager since then. But um, I don't know if it's her fault that nobody's excited. But I just I gotta say the contrast in presentation. Again, there's many things that go into why people vote for folks. Joe Biden had a plenty of empty events where his presentation was very so-so. I received many texts from my political friends like these Joe Biden events are are sad. You know, four years ago. Now. But that said. Vivek is like 1,000 times a better performer than DeSantis. Just just judging him, just purely on performance in this kind of setting, these small, these rooms. I mean, it's like Nikola Jokic versus Sarah. Sarah was, really, was an okay basketball player. Why do yeah, I have fine. to be the one who's not I'm good sorry. here? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just saying. You were as, like, like, it's not like Ron DeSantis is terrible. You, he was the captain of his high school basketball team. <laughs> but Vivek <laughs> is out there by comparison much, much, much better. Completely different level. Uh, so there's that. The attendees there, many of the Vivek attendees there were Trump people. This is another interesting thing. The DeSantis people were self-selecting. And this is where I want to get to your focus group, Sarah. But it, there weren't a lot of people who are like, I'm a Trump person. I'm also here to see DeSantis. It tended to be people who are like, I'm playing the field. I like DeSantis, just anecdotally, through I talked to. At the Vivek thing, there were a lot of people who are like, I like Mr. Trump. But, you know, this guy, this guy's making some sense, too. I'm interested in this guy, right? So uh, then the next day, they, there's an, a cattle call where all the candidates speak. And DeSantis is, again, he's fine. Uh, it's okay. He gets applause. It's not horrible. It wasn't like Asa's speech. God love him. Poor Asa talked about respecting the Department of Justice to crickets. That's I mean, not you a big applause line. Hmm? Wait, these are law and order people. Law and order <laughs> patriots. A soft they, whisper. You know? Oh, um, you know, you hear the you hear the utensil cling in the background after <laughs> and uh, Nikki Haley then gave a talk about uh, protecting Ukraine. Again, good. Agree. Very tepid response. So DeSantis didn't have that. He had a nice response. But then Vivek goes out there and does his 10 truths, the 10 commandments of Vivek. God is real and men are men and women are women. And, Did he tell them it was Vishnu fossil, who was real? Yeah, no. okay. Yeah. Well, we, we, fossil okay. fuels are, help us. And people are like, woo, woo. You know, so it's just, it was a very different setting. So I like, it was hard to come away from it with from anything other than that. Um, so I, I could go on. I had a lot of time in the car, like I said, so I have a lot of time to think about takes. So I could go on for hours, but that, that, that would be the top line. Sarah, first question I have is for you. I have been told that uh, gas is so expensive, people can't even drive over to see their friends. And yet the DeSantis campaign can afford to gas guzzle five vehicles, I assume none of which were EVs or hybrids. Timothy, I'm not sure if you got a chance. Uh, there were three SUVs, SUVs. There were three SUVs, ah. a bus, and a and then a and then a sedan. Yeah, they can afford to to guzzle five of these things all over. It sounds like Joe Biden's America is working for the DeSantis campaign. No, I have a several DeSantis things to say. So okay. one of them is you announce a big reset, you fire a quarter or like what? How many of his staff? A third First of your it's staff. First, a dozen. Then it's a third. Remember, we we did we did like the rolling layoffs. You're in the death spiral news cycle. Do you at that point fire your campaign director and get another death spiral process story? 
Why? Yes. Why not just I mean, fire her in the first time, right? Do it all at the same time. Well, what is this? What are they? They, they are. I mean, it is, it is the amateur move of allowing this many negative process stories on staff shakeups is insane. I have to shout out Ben Parker and the Bulwark Slack, which you only get to be a member of if you're part of the founding uh, elite uh, elements of the, the Bulwark. Champagne and, uh, the, the Champagne tier. The Champagne tier is so tier. exclusive. It's not even on the website. Yeah, and you have to um, email me directly. And 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 we whoever put in the link to to the firing news, DeSantis fires campaign manager and Ben Parker goes, he's getting a divorce. But this is anyway. so. This is classic. I, I I'm giving you something from today's triad before it has gone out. Uh, my buddy Chris Eliza wrote about this yesterday. You see this in baseball all the time. You have a, a team which in the preseason was expected to be setting the world on fire. And then it turns out that they are five games under 500 and they look terrible. And so what do they do? They fire the manager. Why do you fire the manager of a team? Because you can't fire the players and you can't fire the GM who built the team. The only person you can fire is the manager. And so you do that in order to make it look like, you know, uh, Guys, could you play harder? Could you hit more balls? And that's what this is, right? You can't replace the candidate. You can't replace the candidate's wife. And so you fire the campaign manager. And I don't know. Did you guys see the the video of him yesterday doing the... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can't take a good picture of him. I, I just, can I just say this, by the way? I was with him for two days, and I, I swore. Like, like, people think I'm trolling him. And I'm like, I'm just... I, I, I got my little iPhone camera out, and I took... I took probably ten pictures around DeSantis, over like up close and personal, and I got one good one. Like if you know, if this was Instagram and I was and I was his campaign staff, I, you're batting one for ten. I, and I hear this. Look, I'm not I'm not a model, you know. I, so oh, some Tim, people don't sell yourself so, short. Look at I'm you. Like a star. Some people are more photogenic than others. Ron, you can't take a good picture of Ron. Ron's also, just standing the there. He looks angry. Do you remember the Hillary laugh? Remember Hillary was going to yeah, Hillary Clinton couldn't be elected president because her laugh was a Ron DeSantis's laugh is terrifying. <laughs> and uh, it's again like, it, you know, you can you can clip three bad seconds of anybody. But the number of three bad seconds that there are of Ron DeSantis laughing is like in, infinite. You know, I was talking to a reporter about uh, how much voters like authenticity and, you know, and how it's tough because DeSantis is like he looks really wooden and awkward. And she was like, well, what if he's authentically awkward and he's authentically bad with people? Like, why don't they like that? And I was like, yeah, you have to be like authentic, but like you also have to be authentically likable. <laughs> like it can't be like I'm authentically a weirdo. No, uh, you can be authentically curmudgeonly the way like Dole was. Yeah. Right. You can't be authentically weird. I think that's like weird and off-putting is different than curmudgeonly and Yeah. And some people are authentically uncomfortable in their own skin. Yeah. Yeah. But that's that's just not politics is not for you then. Right. Presidential politics at least, you know. Yeah. And and so I think that that is So, so but here's the it. thing. I want to talk about the folks who, but let me just ask you this back on this point. But you know, people really liked him and found him engaging for a long time. The thing he did in Florida where he was owning the press and he was yelling, yelling. at people and then going on Fox News, like he has been capable of doing this for a long time. And I, I, what did, what do you think has made it so impossible for him? Like, does he have the political yips or does he, 
is is he like the national stage is so different from the local stage and he just can't control things the same way? Um, like, why can't he perform even remotely at the level that he was performing before? I have a thought on this. Okay. I, I, I think he does have a little bit of the yips. And then I, I think both those things are true and that the national stage is different. The thing is, though, is that with Trump in the race, he can't do the alpha thing. Like, that was the thing that worked for him. Like, I'm a dick. I'm going to yell at this 24-year-old local NBC reporter and tell them why they're stupid. And I'm going to yell at them and call Fauci an elf. And, and, like, that was what worked for him. And that's what people resonated with. It's hard for him to do that when Trump is alphaing him on the same stage, so to speak, metaphorically. And and so now you put him in this situation that's unnatural. I was talking to all these reporters about this in Iowa. I was like, I was on the McCain campaign when McCain fired everybody and then did the, oh, we're going to do these small events like the one I went to in Tama. McCain loved that. That was like his wheelhouse. He reveled in it. He hated the big stuff. He wasn't good at big speeches. Like he wasn't, he liked work in the room. He's a little curmudgeonly, but he's like, I'm going to win this. I'm going to win this bastard over. Like that was McCain's wheelhouse, <laughs> right? That's not Ron DeSantis's wheelhouse. He doesn't want to meet these people. And so like the, the, the reset is like, oh, we're going to get him in all these small rooms and let Ron be Ron. It makes no sense. Have they met Ron? Have they met Ron? <laughs> I just, it's, like, it's just like the strategy should be going back to that, right? Like he should be having press conferences and yelling at the embeds. Yes. I, I don't know if that would work, but that would at least be in his wheelhouse, right? Like Let this him be is a dick to the his, people they hate. Yeah, this is not yes. in his wheelhouse. What, one other, and I want to hear what you, you heard from the folks. Just one other observation from the road. At the actual cattle call in Cedar Rapids, uh, it was the local congresswoman. Ashley Hinson, who's like one of the quote-unquote closet normals. Uh, you know, she voted the right way on the house thing. Like most people probably haven't heard of her. Uh, okay. So she's hosting this cattle call as a way to boost her, you know, campaign coffers. So all these guys come, not Trump. But uh, this event, like it was really weird to be in there because all of the Iowa delegation speaks. So the governor speaks, Kim Reynolds, Chuck Grassley speaks. Um, the other congressional people who all are kind of, are kind of nondescript all speak. Doug Burgum talks like all these people talk. Nobody even talks about Trump. I, I, they have this cattle call and like Trump isn't, isn't mentioned. Like I, we're an hour in and I go up to two of the reporters. Cause I'm like, am I just looking at Twitter too much? Am I half paying attention? I was like, has anyone even talked about Trump? And, and they were like, no, no one's even mentioned it. And it is so strange it just shows that even now, eight years in, these guys haven't figured out how to navigate it, right? Like, he is just this complete alpha apex predator that's overtaking everything in the news. He's winning the primary in a landslide, and they don't know how to talk about him. And, you know, as I wrote about it in the triad, I talked, I, I went up to people in Trump shirts, and I was like, do you think this is weird? And, and it was just like asking JVL about watches. You know, like I, did, I, like I, I didn't even have to do anything. It's just like I asked them, "Do you think it's weird that people aren't aren't talking more about Trump?" And it's just like blah 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 blah. Like one lady, it's like was there on January sixth, and she's my best friend at the end. She's coming up to me and she's like, "Thank you for listening to me. I know you might not be one of us, I, I, but at least you understand you oh. where we where we go. One we go all sweetheart. <laughs> yeah, one like, of us." One of us. But I just think that that whole experience, despite being like kind of hallucinatory and bizarre, as if you're on a different planet, I, I just, again, speaks to the problem that all these guys have. Is that like they, they just, they've made this deal with Trump and don't know how to handle him. And so you can't be a dominant force. You can't be winning people over, except for that 
and, and I'm sure you can now only hear what you have heard about the focus groups, except for that not insignificant, not zero, but clear minority part of the party. All right, Sarah, what do you got? So here's my best thing, uh, which is we have done two focus groups over the last two weeks. Uh, we do one a week and two time Trump voters. Can we say really quick before you tell us, when does the actual podcast come back? People ask me about this a lot. It is coming back after Labor Day. We'll be back early September. We're coming back. Uh, People want it. I hear about it. I know. I I I don't have an answer. I'm like, that's Sarah's deal. You know, I'm not. Uh, Yeah. No, we'll be back in September and we'll and I'll go through the summer that I watched the voters turn on Ron DeSantis slowly at first and then all at once. And in these last two groups, when asked... Who do people want to see be the nominee? Trump walks away with six people. There's one for Tim Scott, mm-hmm. one for Nikki Haley, and one for Vivek Ramaswamy. And there are zero for Ron DeSantis. And it is the second focus group in a row where no one has mentioned Ron DeSantis as someone they're interested in for president. In the first group, we were even, we were even like, if it's not Trump, who would you like to see be the nominee? And they were like, oh, I really love Tim Scott. There was like five people who wanted Tim Scott. Vivek, they were talking about someone, they were mad at Burgum for some eminent domain things, but like they were tracking, they were following stuff. Yeah. They had two Iowa people, it was two South Carolina people, it was early states, and uh, no one wants DeSantis. And when we asked about DeSantis, so we have to bring him up, uh, why not DeSantis? People were like, one guy is like, he's fine. I like him, he's fine. Uh, another guy is like, yeah, a little wooden, it's a little wooden. This This group, this time, one woman was like, I think he's part of the deep state. Uh, <laughs> like, I can't can't trust this guy. Uh, and I just think, uh, and like, who could argue with that? Maybe he is part of the deep state. <laughs> I, I mean, he was in the, he was he was a Guantanamo. He was a Bush Republican. This guy, she thought, Harvard you Law, know? because right. someone was paying him because he's not the guy he used to be. Like, this is mm. the thing. There's this sense among voters too yeah. that like, oh, I liked him before, but he's really dropped off. They have no idea what they mean. They don't even know what that means, right? Like, what, what dropped favorite. off? Was it his legislative agenda in, in the final four no, weeks of the term? That, Is that what it was? that their impression of him has gotten that he's, right. like, not as good as they thought. Trump doesn't like him anymore. And so, like, I can't like him either. My favorite deep state combo from my time in Iowa was at the Vivek event. I talked to a guy in the back. And he, like, sounded normal for, like, two minutes. I'm sure you get this, Sarah. You're like, oh, this guy just seems kind of like my uncle. You know, maybe a little a little too much time with Fox, but, you know, kind of normal. He, he was using regular word, English. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know what? What I really think, though, is that I think Trump is still in control of the military. Hmm. And he starts going <laughs> on about this for a while. And I was like, okay, okay. And then we get to the end and I was like, all right, well, that's good to know. Well, it, just in case, like, Trump dies or something happens to Trump, who would your second choice be? And he goes, I think this guy. And he points up at Vivek. I don't, I don't know if you knew his name. And so I went up to Vivek's press gal and I was like, good news. The guy that thinks Trump still run, has the nukes, you're his second choice. So you're his second choice. So <laughs> that's you can Vivek's feel good base. about that. <laughs> wow. Can what I else s- have you found? I want to learn more. One of the other things, you know, as as people have um, moved more and more toward Trump, which, you know, as I've said, uh, was not the case eight months ago, was not the case. But now, I mean, he's so dominant. Now, one of the things that everybody says, and I, I, I want to tell JVL this, uh, partly because it'll make his head explode, but also because I think it's important for him to understand how people think about Trump. Give me one a second. Things- give me a second to cleanse. Cleansing breath. Okay. Almost universally, including the people who want to vote for somebody else, 
they all think Trump was a great president, mm -hmm. that he did a great job, that mm. the economy was awesome. They do not remember COVID, uh, but they think that like he deserves another chance because he was crushing it. Uh, and I, I think that that is something that I've heard so much more and that, you know, sometimes when you start to hear things over and over from people, you realize like it's a thing people say to each other. It's like a universal truth to Trump voters, regardless of whether or not they want to move on from Trump or there may be Trump or they like Tim Scott. It is taken as faith that Donald Trump was a great president who did great things for this country. He did a great job. And so, you know, when you think that, and you start to see Trump and he looks OK. And like I said, keep saying you cannot beat something with nothing and nothing's what this field has given you. That's how you wind up with Trump again. God, guys, I, he's so dominant. I have and some questions. Yeah, sure. The wall. Are they happy with the way the wall was built? <laughs> Nobody cares about the wall. I mean, they, ca they care. They care like they care about he has tough talk on immigration. Okay. They're like they're like immigrants weren't pouring over the border. How about rural broadband and the places where they are, where rural broadband is now being brought to them courtesy of Joe Biden. Is that yeah. I have a wall answer for you. Yeah. On Vivek Stump, he's talking about militarizing the border and actually killing people, and that that was a crowd pleaser. That was better than anything DeSantis had to offer um, as far as crowd reaction is concerned. So they might so they care. Or are they just kind of they're they're upgrading. The killing migrants, which is, you know, Trump also suggested, like, just start shooting them in the legs. Mm -hmm. But also, yeah. like, Ron DeSantis, when he was talking about the, he's going to come in and he's going to clean house, whatever, he's going to start slitting throats. throats. There's something a little unnerving about the rhetoric from some of these candidates, I've got to oh, say. You pearl clutchers <laughs> with your, you know, so long as they've got good conservative policies, what does it really matter if they're, uh, okay. That's why Tim started wearing his pearls. He needed something to clutch. I have a lot of things to clutch these days. Uh, <laughs> that is amazing to me, Sarah. And uh, so I guess what you're saying is Mike Pence making the debate stage doesn't really matter. Before we get to Pence, guys, I, I, I think it is worth, we're so negative. I, I just, I always, I just want to, Trump is so dominant. All this is true. Humans are complicated though. And yes. there are, yeah, and there are a lot of people like, are they like, complicated? There are, a lot of are they so simple that we can't believe it? And so we create <laughs> complex motivations to explain the dullards. Okay. I'm not, I'm about to, I'm not about to go David Brooks on you. Okay. I'm not, I'm just saying that when you hear, when you talk to them, there, there is obviously a group of people like the ladies that I spoke to at the, at the cattle call who are Trump, Trump or death, you know, Trump or death <laughs> for a certain number of people. Okay. <laughs> There is a big group, though, that's kind of, that, that I don't know which ones of the all of the holes that you could point in the, in Trump, that they would agree with some, right? And this is right. And don't you get this in, in, in focus groups there, too, right? Some of them are like, yeah, I didn't love this, or I didn't love that, or totally. the, the other thing, or we could have done better on here or that, right? Like, but he's still just kind of at a gut level, you know, that you got to move people off of him. Better than all the rest, man. You got to have somebody else who people will think, yeah, that person. And nobody feels that way. I gotta say, there's a little, uh, there's a little Tim Scott momentum in these groups. Like one of these groups that had the South Carolina people, like five people went for Tim Scott. Tell uh, me more. Mm -hmm. He just I mean, got I, eight I, figures from Larry Ellison, right? I think Why not Scott? Why couldn't he happen? I think he can have a little moment where I think he could become the second place. I think he could be the one getting 13, 14, 15%. Do I think Tim Scott can challenge Donald Trump for this party? I do not.
Tim Scott's not happening. I wrote an article about this. You guys can read it if you want. Um, we don't, I don't need to rehash it. Uh, but uh, he can't get the MAGA people. The thing that worked about DeSantis for a while was that he, when he was close to Trump, is that he was getting some MAGAs and then some establishment normies were like, I guess I'll go along with this guy because anything but Trump, right? He was able to, to get from both groups. Tim Scott's never going to get any of these MAGAs, okay? He's never going he's to. He's not. I maybe one in a group or not zero, but come on. The insanity of the people who went around saying, look, Trump has 35% of the base who will never vote for anybody but him. But that's only 35%. Like, I, if you have 35% of any pie that will not touch anybody else under any circumstances, you are impossible to beat, right? The nature of the support matters. This is what people never understood the first show around with the Trump support, right? That all things being equal, having a slice of the pie that is till the death with you versus a slice of the pie that likes you and is with you and the same size, the magnitude of the support matters. I agree with that. I agree. I agree that the depth of Trump's support is really important. What I don't agree with is that the idea that if DeSantis had been a different candidate, like a good one. That there's also at least 35% that wanted to move on from Trump. And then there's your middle maybe Trumpers. And if he had decided to consolidate the move on from Trumpers and been their guy and shown real strength against Trump uh, and been able to pull over the, the maybe Trumpers, like I just, I just don't believe that there wasn't a path for somebody to beat Trump. I just don't think any of these candidates are capable of doing it. I agree with Sarah. There's one other thing, though, that is worth saying that it's like, and Sarah talks to more rich people than I do. So maybe I, I, I have this business idea, Sarah, which is I want a couple of rich people to come to me and say, hey, I'm planning on spending eight figures on these various political activities. And I want you to tell me if any of them are hopeless. And if you do, then I'll give you 2% of the money that I was going to spend. <laughs> and I was like, I think I, 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 that's, I, would, I would like that job because Larry Ellison... Like the stupidest thing I have ever could ever think of is spending $35 million on Tim Scott ads. Okay. TV ads in a, this presidential race. Like this is ludicrous. Like who's getting convinced by this? You think that people are just sitting around watching Fox who love Donald Trump, who've known him for nine years, see one ad of Tim Scott being like, I love America. It's not and one I ad. Grew up $35 like million dollars buys you a lot of rotations. <laughs> Okay, they see a hundred ads. Like they know Donald Trump. They know Tim Scott. These ads, they could work in other things, but Tim Scott bio ads, I, it's uh, it is pissing money away. You might as well just start a fucking bonfire on your island and just burn the money, or you know, give it to the indigenous people of the island. Like Tim Scott, pro Tim Scott ads are totally worthless in a presidential primary. Worse than that. Tim Scott is going to be one of the first guys to endorse Trump. Like when when this is all over, Tim Scott is there is 0.00% chance that Tim Scott will withhold his endorsement or say anything like, yeah, I just don't think we can do this again. Yeah, Because Tim Scott's going to be Trump's vice president. Very possibly. My money is on VP Tim Scott. Unless it's Vivek, VP Vivek. Oh, yeah. based Trump Vivek. doesn't want somebody with his own shtick. At least. I don't know, man. Elise. Elise. Oh, boy. If she doesn't get it, hardest hit. Can we talk about women's sports? 
Over the weekend, the U.S. women's national soccer team was defeated in an enormous upset in the Women's World Cup by Sweden. The woke European socialists of Sweden in a shootout in which the sainted Megan Rapinoe crapped the bed. I don't care about soccer at all. And to the extent that I care about soccer, I actually always root against the U.S. teams, both the men and this the women's is, teams. I know. I'm going to get so mad during this conversation. We have fought about this before. We fought about this the last World Cup. We've been doing this now long World enough Cup. that you and I we, have, Yeah, it was a night. Yeah. You're the worst about it. And your hatred for Megan Rapinoe, you should see a doctor about it. Don't hatred? I had not thought about Megan Rapinoe. Rapinoe? Rapinoe? I hadn't thought about her. She hadn't crossed my mind in like four years. Uh all I will say is that the people who really do care about the sanctity of women's sports were weirdly erotically excited by these particular women athletes losing. And I thought that was a little sus. Yeah. The Donald Trump, who, you know, we got to be really concerned about, yeah, protecting women's sports, whatever. Uh, the problem is, is that uh, you get the cross cutting of the fact that this soccer team is viewed as woke uh, because they kneeled. Last time around, Megan Pino's still on the team. I got to say, just purely, did you guys watch this game? Neither of you are watching. Soccer, soccer. so no. No. No, I'm sorry. No, okay, well, <laughs> penalty kicks, quite exciting. Uh, Megan Rapinoe missing is like, that's it. That is brutal. I'm not sure why. I'm not sure why. She's old. There. Age she, comes for all of us, right? Yeah, this is it's the... not. She was a great. She was a great. It was, it's just one, one. And, you know, I think it was great to stay on the team as an elder statesman, but they were playing her. She's 38, which, by the way, is in soccer very, years, in soccer years, is 70. so and she's like a legend. But still, uh, I cannot. What a heartbreaker it was. But Were you also, up at 3 a.m. watching that thing? No. So I did get up early, though, and caught like the like the last part of the game. You were there just for the crushing defeat. Yeah, I was. I was. And I have been getting up early. We the, we had some friends. We did a 6 a.m. watch of the – we just – you start the game. You don't look at your phone. You don't know the score. And then you get up and you watch – you start the game. Super fun. Anyway, the hypocrisy is brazen and blatant. And also – but like also like this is the national team, right? They're representing America. So it's also mm. just an anti-patriotic – like we support – our American teams make America great again, except for the parts of America we don't like. And that part those parts of America must be destroyed. Right. I mean, this is the, the this is the heart of what is fascistic about the MAGA movement, though. Right. It's, it's that there are real Americans and there are not real Americans who are, in fact, traitors and and enemies. Right. Trump and his people also like let's just like mainly hate women. And like want them to be in beauty pageants, not be athletes, and obviously have many sexual assault issues against women, as well as many of the people that Trump surrounds himself with, like Rudy Giuliani. Like these are not people who like women. The only time they talk about protecting women in sports is when it serves them politically to cast out another out group, which is trans people. And I can have a whole, we could have a good faith conversation about the trans sports issue that would be different, but like. Their motives are very clear because we know how they deal with women's yeah. sports in the rest of their lives, which is that they don't care about them. Because you never see them say anything positive about women's right. sports. That's right. been my always thing about the, and I don't care about soccer, but the basketball thing, right? Like, it's like, 
The only time you ever see women's basketball WNBA brought up in conservative environs is to make fun of it, is yeah. to you know do what I did about the Ron DeSantis event. Nobody goes to this WNBA game. And there was this amazing um, I'm blanking on the on her name. She went to Oregon, um, women's college basketball player who now is in the pros, and uh, she. She set the all-time record in a three-point competition. It was just like this ama- it was amazing video about a month it's ago. Amazing, and, and, that yeah, video. it was like it was better than what Steph Curry, you know, could do or, or any man could do. It was an, it was absolutely unbelievable. She made like twenty-six out of twenty-seven after missing the first one in the three-point competition. You don't see these guys being like, "Oh, this is awesome, meme lord," you know, like I, laser eyes. You know, they, they don't do that. Like they only bring up women's sports if if they're talking about how we need to protect them from Leah Thomas. Or insulting, you know, the WNBA or the U.S. women's national team. And the whole thing is, it's like among some of our friends in the National Review crowd, there was a comment that like, oh, they bring it on themselves because they were the ones that injected politics in first. The U.S. women's national team, they're the ones that brought up politics. And it's like, maybe, okay, maybe they're, they're a little too political. I think everybody should be able to speak for themselves in a free country. But the Trump's response Woke equals failure. Nice shot, Megan. The USA is going to hell. MAGA. Okay. I know we're just belaboring the point here, but there is no equivalent of this. There is no world in which Tim Tebow throws a game-winning interception at some international competition and Joe Biden is like... Christian nationalism equals failure. Nice throw, Tebow, loser. You know, like, I, nobody at, behaves like this, right, except for him. Anyway, the I, that is the element of this that's just so gross. It's so outside the pale. And any time that, you know, you you kind of give aid and comfort to that argument, I, I think it just speaks to this, the total degradation of where the movement is right now. Let me, let me put a bow on this because we got to get out of here. Tim, you did a little rant about my friend David Brooks's column in the New York Times last week in which David Brooks was trying to put himself inside the minds of MAGA voters and really understand what makes them tick and be sympathetic to them. And Nicholas Grossman, a regular Bulwark contributor, tweeted or threaded out something the other day saying, hey, I'm looking around trying to find the mirror image version of those pieces. Like, where is there in conservative MAGA world people saying, hey, let's try to understand the minds of Biden voters. Like, what what is it that's bringing them to get to there? And how can we understand that and understand our own culpability in maybe pushing them to that instead of embracing the great MAGA uh, free market conservative principles which have made this country great? And I don't believe that Nicholas has found any of those columns yet. Right. And this is another one of those asymmetries. Maybe a more apt comparison is like the Black Lives Matter protest. Right. Like let's try like conservatives, like let's try to have the best faith view of the of the protests. Or that just, got a little, even if you think they're wrong, that. try to understand like why right. what brought them here. And uh, this is another one of the asymmetries. And it's that like, I am sorry, I would love to both sides this, but one side is basically healthy, but not meaning perfect, like has a lot of problems and is wrong about a bunch of things but is wrong in, in healthy ways. One side is like toxic and unhealthy. So, all right, good show, long show, very long show. Uh, short. Not that long. It was Not very, it's, they're all long. Feels long. I feel like I was really in my best behavior today and should get a gold star. You always and, get a gold uh, star. We will be back on Sunday with a Sunday show and it's going to be a great show. Wonky. We're getting wonky Many on people Sunday. are saying some of the best shows ever are our Sunday shows. 
And uh, that that how uh, great was Amanda? How lovely is Amanda Shires? That was really it was, really it was the only time I've been nervous. Actually, I had no idea who could she tell. was, you, but she was. I was so nervous, and she's so amazing, and her music's so amazing. She's such a sweetheart, and uh, that Sebastian gets credit for editing out. I had like three just boofs. Just like in the middle of it, where I said a name totally wrong, and I was just all nervous. And um, but uh, I, I think we pulled it out. All right, Sarah, Tim, I will see you guys on Sunday. Bye. Bye.